Hi, Stephen. Lovely to have you on the on this podcast, the Goodman Lantern Podcast. Um, you know, obviously, I've known you for for many years now. You're a mentor to me. You actually helped me get into EO, as it were. So let us all learn and hear about yourself, Stephen. Who's Stephen Short? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Maybe your your career. Who's your family? All that sort of good stuff. Well, hi, Raj. How are you? Thanks uh, so much for having me on the show. But just to clarify that point, I uh, didn't help you get into EO. You did that all by yourself. I was just on the sideline cheering you on while you were doing all those amazing things um, with your business from going from uh, the UK to Asia to now in in, in Bangkok and, and living the life. So uh, it was all you. Thank you. I mean, someone someone who helped someone else would definitely say that on there. So but yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. But tell us a little bit about Stephen Short. Who's, who's Stephen? Uh, so I'm Stephen from Dublin uh, in Ireland, which is also known as the center of the known universe. Um, I've grown up in two family businesses. We had an English language school where we taught English to international students, which I sold just before COVID. Uh, and we have another business now where we are matching the right people with the right careers. So when I say matching the right people with the right careers, we're not a recruitment company. People kind of shy away from me when they think I'm a recruitment company. So we have two main focuses. One is helping individuals to find their ideal career based on their unique mix of interests and abilities. And we've built a whole system and a whole algorithm and framework about helping people to identify their ideal careers so as we can help them on their journey. Then for companies, we also do selection, where if you're in your final round of interviews for any kind of a leadership position, uh, we would get the uh, job spec and the person spec. We would then map that against some personality uh, assessments that we use or aptitude assessments, run the candidates through that, and then give you back a report showing you this is the top person based on all of the criteria. These are the areas that they stood out, and these are the areas that you might want to dig into if they're not 100%, if they're 82% or 89%. These are one or two of the areas that they fell down in. This is what you should also focus on in the interview. And then if they're lower than 60%, we say, look, it's, it's probably not going to be a good fit for you uh, in a personality-wise. Understood. And to achieve that, is this sort of more manual task? Is it more... I don't know, technology, AI, how do, you, how do you go about doing that, that matching, for example? So we don't use AI in any of our services. We do use AI um, a little bit in our in our content. And, and in my thinking, I actually get AI to, to act, uh, to give me counterpoints for ideas or to give me counter narratives and things like that. I find it actually quite useful. Um, but everything that we've done, the, the algorithm that we've built for the career guidance is, is based on our experience of, 40 plus years of both giving career guidance for individuals, helping people find the right career for them in a very personal hands-on way and doing the selection that we've done for the last 40 years as well. We know what it takes to do well in each of these careers. So we're the only ones that can really combine all of that information and knowledge. We don't use AI to pick the careers. We actually use um, our experience and our knowledge of how those courses are sorry how those careers go with those aptitudes and those interests uh the same for the for the selection for companies we actually sit down uh, have a look at the job spec at the person spec if there's any queries we'll go back sometimes we'll jump on a call to actually really understand what the culture is really like so when you say i want somebody who's ambitious okay what do you mean by the term ambitious like do you want somebody who's cutthroat and will win at all costs, or do you mean somebody who's going to drive the team forward? 
very different scales and very different uh, parts of personality. So understanding how that all goes together, uh, again, it's our customization on a, an individual and a personal basis for that role. So that's why we can do selection for, we, we're not industry specific. Uh, we can do it and customize it for any role in any industry, so long as we have a, a good person spec, a good job spec, and an understanding of what the culture of the organization is like. Understood. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And one thing which I wanted to kind of check, because obviously both of us run our own businesses, you're entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. Is there something like entrepreneurship and how does that, if, if, if entrepreneurship has a role in shaping career paths and aspirations, do you feel like that is something which plays a part in this as well? Or this is something which is very different potentially because candidates perhaps don't have entrepreneurial ambitions at all? No, not at all. I mean, we have entrepreneur, uh, business owner, manager, like these are some of the, the careers that we have in our career fit platform um, because being an entrepreneur, it's it's not for everybody. Like right now, it is still kind of sexy to be an entrepreneur and people like uh, influencers and people like that are giving entrepreneur advice. Um, some have the experience, some have the personality, some have the resilience to do it. Um, some don't, some are actually, some people are probably better off being ahead of marketing, ahead of distribution, ahead of engineering or whatever, instead of trying to run their own business. Um, and I've met many people who know exactly, um, that they don't want to be an entrepreneur. They may have tried it or they may have seen their brother or sister trying it or their parents or something like that and said, yeah, it's not for me. I know I won't enjoy that pressure of the, the financials and the having to make sure that things are, are running smoothly across the entire board. There are other people who, one of the first events that I went to uh, as an EO member, uh, I remember one of the EOers standing up and saying that he was really bad at managing people and he himself was unmanageable. So he could only ever become an entrepreneur. So he set stuff up and then put people in place and then left. Understood. That, that's, that's really interesting. So, so if somebody was looking to really enhance their career, you know, and obviously be able to really power that, and they meet someone like yourself, what what would you t advise someone like that? Another way of asking the same question is, if you were to meet your thirty-year-old or twenty-year-old self, what would you advise them to kind of really set themselves up if they were not looking at an entrepreneurial path and maybe more sort of looking for a role in a company? Um, well, really, the the whole thing about careers is, is getting clear on what you're interested in. 80% of people can do 80% of the job. There are actually a very small number of jobs that require real specific, uh, like brain surgery or really high-end um, engineering and uh, electrical engineering or really high-end financial stuff. Like there's very specific types of people that do well in those organizations. Um, we actually, my father, many, many years ago, was the only person in Ireland before the Euro came in in Europe, he was the only person in Ireland that was trusted by all of the banks in Ireland to pick spot currency dealers, a very, very specific type of uh, day trader and trader before stocks and shares were as, as prevalent as they are now. And people who were buying and selling um, currencies. Uh, and he was the only person, like nobody in the country was hired in that role that didn't go through Pat, which is which is a kind of a cool thing to say. But then the euro came in and it, the demand for that kind of dropped and people went into other things. 
Um, but really, 80% of people can do 80% of the jobs. It comes down to the interest. I have the ability, if I wanted to be an accountant, I understand Excel, I understand numbers, I understand how these things work. I just don't have the interest in working with numbers. I'm much more interested in people, for example. Um, I could be uh, an example that we use in this, in, in actually my report of um, in CareerFit, which is the sample report that people can see on our career guidance platform. You, I got two things. I got a chat show host or, and I got journalists. They're two things, both very interested in sharing stories, talking to people, finding out more about stuff. But the journalists tend to be behind the paper, behind the screen, uh, putting, letting their words do the speaking for them for want of a better expression. And chat show hosts obviously are much more interested in being in front of the mic, in front of the camera, being a bit more extroverted, a little bit more um, needy. So that's, uh, that's much more in my vein. So the two things are very similar, but my interests lie more in talking to people face to face, having conversations like this and, and having those uh, discussions to help move the world forward. So that's where I could have been a journalist and I could have gone into writing and still being uh, sharing stories, finding out about things. But my interest is more in the, the chat show side of things. Understood. Understood. And, and obviously, so you have the expertise and the knowledge about understanding where you fit in, in the roles which you like to kind of apply for, or be part of when, when you were probably in that, uh, that sort of arena back in the day, potentially, may, maybe not. But for somebody who's coming in, um, would you recommend that they go through career coaching, uh, skill development, for example, or career guidance? Or do you think that's something that's overrated in this world of AI, for example, or all the YouTube stuff is out there available? So, yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm a little bit biased. I run a career guidance company. I'm going to say everybody should get career guidance. But really, having an understanding of who you are, like there's, there's people, uh, we do workshops and we do um, conferences all the time. We have these little sticker boards. I really know what I want to do. I have a, an idea of what I do. Or I have no idea what I want to do realistically people going into college and leaving college they all only about 25 percent or less of those people really know what they want to do so most people have target confusion so um if you are if you look at our database as i said has 1269 careers and with a very specific makeup for each one so if you were to if i was to sit you down and go right Raj, pick one of them you're going to get totally confused go, i have no idea what i want to do Whereas when you start doing, I mean, doing our assessment is a shortcut to it, but I mean, you could really sit down and start going, well, what are my abilities? What are my verbal, numerical, abstract reasoning abilities? What are my interests? What do I like doing? What does this, and exploring these things. And you could spend years and years, which is what most people do, spending years and years trying a little bit of that, going and going, mm, I kind of like what they're doing over there, or I like what they're doing, mm, but I don't really want to go back to college. How, how do I get that? Whereas getting yourself a career coach, getting yourself a mentor, getting yourself even an assessment like ours can shortcut that for you by years to be able to get you on the right track to find a fulfilling and rewarding career. And then, I mean, I'm, I'm a huge um, proponent of continuous development, professional development, personal development, uh, growing and learning. Um, my folks are... Uh, they they probably won't want me saying this, but in their, let's say, late 70s and early 80s. Um, 
and they're still work. They're still learning. They're still like being interested and being curious about the world and, and being interested in what's happening in the business and being interested in what's happening outside. And the way I see it, you don't retire because you get old, you get old because you retire. If you just sit and do nothing, you don't grow. That's when things start to stagnate. We can go through life. Um, I mean, the likelihood is in our generation, we're going to live quite healthily into our 80s and 90s and beyond, possibly. We're going to be around for a long time. If we're going to stay right at 65, I'm just going to sit on my backside and do nothing. Then you're in trouble. For me, having that curiosity, having that development is fundamentally important, whether you're an entrepreneur or whether you're a leader in an organization or whether you're just growing in your own career and being able to develop yourself uh, to have more of the things that you want in life, whether that's money, time, experiences, whatever. Um, spending the time on yourself and growing and putting in that effort is fundamental. Understood. And I completely agree with you. I think if you're not learning, you're, you're dying. And I think I don't want to die. So I'm going to keep learning, right? <laughs> yeah. And obviously, one thing which kind of goes well, and, and I know a lot of times when we hire people, we look, we, we ask people for who they recommend, for example. And, and that then comes down to not only just looking at the people, but also who recommended them as well. So do you feel there's a value in building networks and nurturing relationships with professionals potentially in our own industry or beyond if you're applying for jobs or roles for instance yeah absolutely i mean uh, what is the what's the expression your net your net worth is made up of your network like getting out there and look this is this doesn't mean everybody has to be going to chambers of commerce and throwing business card confetti around the place and going oh hi i can do this i can do this uh, it's about who you relating to. I mean, even if you have a small network, if you have a small network of people that are influential in the area that you want to be involved in, then you're able to, people are able to talk about you when you're not in the room to be able to suggest you for roles or be able to let you know, Hey, uh, there's a guy leaving, you're a software engineer. There's a guy you're, you're really involved. You really like gaming and you really like that company. I, I heard through the grapevine that their head of development is going off to work somewhere else. You should uh, throw your name in there. If you if you're not in that network, if you're not communicating with people, whether it's a small network or a large network, you won't hear about those things. Um, because it's I can't remember what this, the study is, but for all of the jobs and all of the roles that are advertised all over the world, it, they say that there's only between 20 and 30 percent of the roles that actually exist that are that are filled every year are advertised because there are people who put in their CV and they get headhunted or somebody else recommends them and they contact them and go, Hey, would you like to come and work here? Because we've seen your work or we've, somebody has recommended you. So I think having that network and having that, um, having that circle, uh, is really important, uh, for you and your personal development. Sorry. And you mentioned professional development. Yeah. Understood. Uh, and, and you mentioned about obviously, you know, you, you need to meet people, you know, you need to like so always give away your business cards, for example, but you need to like actually connect with people and then mm -hmm. being people to connect with people, you have obviously learn, uh, they learn about you, they learn about what, what you're able to do. That reminds me, one of the things which I was petrified of was public speaking. I, I absolutely disliked it. But people tell me that that's a catalyst to career advancements. Do you agree with that? If so, 
why and not why. I absolutely agree with it, uh, partly because I am a public speaker. But for, I just want to go back to the last point, just a little thing that you said there. People get, there are people who are naturally, their personality, their behaviors, their their habits and everything else naturally lend themselves to going to network events, enjoying going to conferences, meeting new people, going and talking to people. There are other people who that doesn't come naturally to. That, that doesn't mean that they're excluded from networks. It just means that their networks tend to be smaller, but they can be more impactful on the one-to-one -one instead of the, the impact that people make on, I have 5,000 friends on, on LinkedIn and somebody else who has 20, but they actually talk to those people regularly or they're, they're, they're stepping forward and saying, well, my work speaks for itself. I'm not saying that everybody has to be out at these conferences and you're going to get stuck in a dead-end job if you don't. There are ways that introverts and people who are not naturally gregarious can get those networks and get involved in those networks without having to spend all of that social energy that introverts for, I mean, introverts as a term is something I don't really agree with, but it's um, people whose social batteries get drained by being at these huge events. Um, then that's not saying that if you're not stepping forward and making a big noise and um, that you're not going to get ahead. There are, when we do selection for companies and we do uh, training from personality, we talk about effective leaders and emergent leaders. Emergent leaders are very good at showing that they're great leaders, but they might not be the most effective leaders. And then uh, there's other ways that you can find those effective leaders who might not be the stand on stage, looking for the spotlight, look at me, look at me. Um, but yes, speaking of standing on stage, yes, I think um, public speaking or having any kind of a profile that lifts you a little bit above the other people in your area, the other people that you're working with who are, they may be your colleagues and they may be your friends, but at the end of the day, they're also potentially your competitors for uh, bigger jobs, better jobs, more, more attractive jobs for you or more attractive rewards for you. So whether that's speaking on stages, whether that's putting in updates on LinkedIn, doing little video bits to your webcam, just sharing your thoughts and ideas and being a thought leader, it's really daunting. It is incredibly daunting because everybody's, I suffer from this myself and I go, well, I know this and I know that and I know the other, but everybody knows that surely. So talking about that doesn't actually give value. It's amazing um, when, when you're talking to somebody, even just your point of view, even if it's something that somebody knows, the way that you say it or the way that you uh, uh, pull that strand and this strand is a different way for them to understand that concept. So actually sharing the stuff that you already know, it might feel boring to you, uh, but for some people, it's exactly the right thing at exactly the right time that can help them to take the next step. I'm not saying it's going to change the world for them, but it can help them to take that next step. Understood. Understood. And obviously... Again, I, I agree. I, I always thought I was, I was a introvert, but then over the years I realized that actually I'm not. And I think I've just maybe rewired myself a little bit, or maybe I had something inside me which I felt like I, I could do it. And but I was still very, very bad about speaking. It was never my thing. In the last few years, I'm starting to join Toastmasters and stuff right, to kind of get get more into this mm -hmm. skill and habit of, of being public speaking, which actually now I sort of enjoy, which is kind of nice. But I, yeah, I do agree that it's such an important skill to have that really allows you to put yourself out there. Obviously, that's amazing. That's great. But one more thing is about once you're in the company, how do you grow your career then? How do you really enhance your career? Obviously, this, this, this show isn't about a lot of 
HR managers and marketing managers, they think to themselves like, how do I progress my career from here? How do I join, how do I get the next big role, the same company or the next company, for example? And what would be advice on, on, on that? How can they really enhance the career going forward? Again, it comes back to being emergent or being effective. Um, um, there's a lot of trends of thought, especially in, in corporate worlds that you've got to be playing this um, cat and mouse game and always trying to get FaceTime with the boss or FaceTime with the supervisor and one-on-one -on -one time because if they don't see you, you're unseen or any of this stuff. Um, what I've found more often than not is that if you focus on doing good work, it will get noticed. I, there is always the possibility that you might have a narcissistic boss or somebody who's going to take credit for all of the work and who's going to to do everything else. But that kind of stuff, it, it gets found out fairly quickly in most organizations. Yeah, there might be a couple of outliers where uh, it's difficult to to get past a blocker who's actually keeping you there because you're doing work for them and making them look good. But then there's other ways out, whether you're in the same company or another company or another division where you can move forward um, and be able to showcase your work and show what you've done, show what you've been involved in. Because again, there are there are some people who are who want to be stepping out as the emergent leader. There are other people who want to be who, whose viewpoint is much more a rising tide lifts all ships, and I want to be together with all these people and and rising together and being able to help lead from within as opposed to lead from the front or lead from the back. So different cultures within organizations can happen within different teams, different divisions, obviously within different um, functions. So. Um, a market a head of marketing is going to be very different from a head of finance, for example. Um, and we kind of understand that instinctively, but then within organizations, depending on the leadership style of whoever is in charge of your, not silo, but your division or your project can impact what you're doing. But if you do good work consistently, um, people notice that. And then you're able to, to prove that you're able to step up to the next things. I would also say, spending time on, on personal development. So um, watching the YouTube videos, not just the, the funny cat videos, but also every now and again, like public speaking stuff on how to be a, a better engineer, how to, to understand this concept or how to uh, develop a marketing plan or how to do something else. And then being able to offer a suggestion in bigger areas where because you've done a little bit of work, it starts to get noticed. Understood. That makes a lot of sense. Would you say that it becomes harder as we are entering more of a hybrid role in the, in the sense that we have people, some people which are completely remote and so they're working only online, all interaction tends to be remote. Others who have maybe one day a week in the office, others are, are sort of remote. Does that make it harder to be noticed or is it actually probably easier because you are more online, more available? Again, I, I mean, I'm going to give the, the, the classic consultant answer, and it depends, because uh, there are companies that are fully remote, they have everything remote, they have all of their, their town halls remote, and nobody actually meets in person. And they have figured out ways of being able to, to have that casual communication as well as the formal communication, being able to see projects and have everything in a streamlined way. There are other places who have been forced into this hybrid thing, but the managers are all... Uh, the mindset is I, I need to be able to see and like physically reach out and, and shake hands or touch the shoulder of 
whoever I'm working with. And if I can't do that, then I don't trust that they're working or I don't know. They could be just sitting on the couch watching TV. And we see all these things on uh, through COVID where companies had these movement trackers for the mouse. And if the mouse wasn't moving, people were being docked because they weren't working enough. So people found these things that moved the mouse. Uh, for me, that's a that's a, a a toxic culture that's really just trying to treat people like automatons and not give them the freedom to actually develop themselves. They're just they're robots. Um, so I think it's important if you're, for example, in our organization, in our business, we have uh, one colleague who lives in the Netherlands. We had we had another colleague who lived down the country in Ireland. There's only two of us in the entire office that are in every day and I travel so I'm even I'm not in every day um so we have all of our weekly meetings on zoom so our, our weekly leadership meetings are on zoom even if everybody but one is in the office um because there is a disconnect if you have a room full of six people and then somebody else up on the big screen there's a big disconnect in that and that causes um disconnection uh, I'm a big believer though if and and we do this we're going to be we meet up quarterly in person for our quarterly planning so the the colleague from the netherlands uh flies in um because i think it's important to connect physically if any of you are con are connecting physically if all of you are all digital then there's other ways that you can do that there's watch parties you might have once a year a big meetup but if people are meeting physically then um that human connection i think is really important so it comes down to the culture of the organization Interesting. Thank you for the answer, uh, Stephen. That 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 does answer my question. What would you say? And just not taking the point of view of the company owner, the the HR managers, for example. What is the value for people meeting in person in the company? You, you obviously mentioned that you're one of your colleagues flies from Netherlands as well. Sometimes with the meetings, is there any value in organizing routine? retreats for example or meet meetups in the organization if so do you have any thoughts or advice on how should these be organized to make them more efficient uh yeah i mean making them more efficient it kind of almost negates the whole point of it part of meeting up in person is that is that kind of little magic that happens even on the walk from the meeting room to the elevator and oh yeah, remember he said that. What about this? And like it's just a simple idea that maybe doesn't come up in the formal. Sorry, I please disagree with it. Like the, there's that kind of connection and that kind of just um, interaction that can spark an idea that is not quantifiable. Um, the water cooler talk, the people just going, hey, do you want to just go down for lunch? Here, I had an idea about something, or. Or how are you? Have you seen this? Did you hear about this? Or they tell a joke or something that happens in person. Um, we have started doing, um, we, so we do the quarterlies where we're all, all the leaders. So it's just the leaders um, uh, meet person, meet in person. We do a two-day offsite once a year for planning and then we go a one-day quarterly. Um, and we've started doing as well once a month. Anybody who can come to the office comes to the office and then we buy lunch for everybody because it's uh, it gets a connection. Now, <laughs> something that I've noticed in the last little while on our daily huddles then the day after that thing of when everybody comes in, people say, oh yeah, well, um, to, yesterday was great. I was catching up with this person, this person, this person. 
today I'm focusing on all the work I didn't get done yesterday because I was talking to all these people. So it, like it does make it maybe less efficient in the day in, in, in a weekly focus, but it allows for more creativity. It allows for more um, chemistry. It allows for more trust. It allows for more everything else that makes the rest of the month go better. Um, so it's a, a balance. And again, it depends. You might have, if I mean, we're an organization, like we're a small company, so everybody's been involved. We've two of the people who are here with us have been with us for 27 and 26 years. There are other organizations where you might have people that are very ordered. They don't really want to be talking to people. They just want to get in, get the job done and leave on time so they can have their own life outside. And again, that, that's the personality. That depends on their, their personality type. So for them, having this forced fun as they might, sorry, we're, if we're an on audit, if we're on an audio podcast, um, I was doing inverted commas with my fingers about this forced fun because people who are not interested in talking to people, that's how they see these quarterly meetups. So these, oh, we all have to meet for pizza in the in the in the rec room for an hour to communicate. So I just want to play a video game on my computer and and go home. Like I, I don't want any of this stuff. So it depends on the culture you're trying to build. It depends on the team that you're incorporating. It depends on what your your mission and your values of the organization are. Personally, I'm more of a people person. I'm more interested in, in having people have those conversations and in me meeting those people as well. Understood. And that makes a lot of sense. Obviously, you talked about the retreat you have annually. Just a little bit about that. Is that sort of in Ireland? Is that sort of far, far away as possible? What kind of it's, it's currently do you, do you recommend? We've had two so far now since we've come out of COVID. Like we didn't do this before, but we've had two since we've come out of COVID. Sorry, we're about, sorry, we're planning our second one. We had our first one uh, down the country. Uh, we're going to a castle down the country this year for two days. Um, I have said like if once we get to a big enough size, uh, a, a very very dear EO friend of mine has a hotel in the Bahamas. So I mean that is kind of a a future goal. Um, but um, we, we need to be a bit bigger before we can afford a, a trip like that instead of us all driving down the country to stay in a, in a, in a lovely castle. A dear friend of yours lives, lives in Bangkok as well. So if you, if you want to come, come, this is true. come over. But, but do you have a hotel that we can all stay in? I mean, I, well, I can bring us all. I don't know how big your guest room is. But I mean. Well, it, it can fit in a few people, but I would say also I've just started a new company which, is, which does retreats. Uh, as as a as a core business, so so if okay, you need any, any okay. help with that, you know, happy to, to help. Especially in 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 the Asian region, really happy okay. to to help. Obviously, always happy to help you, Stephen. Anyway. Okay, perfect. That sounds interesting. I didn't know that. But congratulations on the new business. Well done. Thank you very much. Um, let's go. Let's get back into into this. I, I'm mm -hmm. I'm really loving the the information, both from the perspective of the candidate who's applying and the company owner or the managers is hiring. The thing, next thing I want to ask you about is interview preparation. It, it's mm -hmm. a funny one for me because, as a business owner, as a as a as a manager hiring people, I want to be as quiet as possible about my interview process. I don't want to give the, give it away as well. They are asking them; they can prepare for it. They can actually cheat, for example. But then there are websites out there which tell tell you about or give away. Google's questions fast, for example, or what they will ask you, and people prepare them, memorize the answers, to make make themselves sound better. What is your guidance for candidates who are doing or preparing for interviews? 
how should they go about preparing for these interviews and coaching themselves or getting coached for the interviews? And what should be the approach of the hiring manager looking to bring in the best candidates possible in the company? So a couple of things. First of all, um, I think you know that we I, we have a website called interviewskills.com where we train people how to do well in job interviews and how we we help people to, to stand out from the competition. Yeah. And I do interview skills training. So, I mean, I do... I do think that there are um, there's no harm, and I think it can be very good for some people to get a little bit of training because sometimes, I mean, I'm sure you've had people sitting in front of you where they either talk too little or they talk too much and they start meandering, and you're thinking, what? hang on, what was the question I asked this person? Um, and they don't give a good interview. But that's largely because people get really nervous in job interviews, and they the pressure is on. They they feel like they're being they're under a microscope and they feel uncomfortable, um. So they they react in a different way. They're, it's a type of pressure, uh, psychological pressure, and this is how they react in, in those environments. So having the the headspace to be able to understand, okay, well, this is how an interview goes. This is how I need to think about my answers. This is how I need to structure my answers. I would never ever tell people, okay, well, these are the these are the questions they're going to ask. So this is what you say. What I really what we tell people, and it's it's not rocket science. When you're asked, when you're interviewing somebody, anybody who's interviewing them, they might have different um, techniques. They might have different questions. Hopefully, they've standardized questions. They have the same questions for everybody, the same core questions for everybody, because otherwise, it's not fair. But at the at the end of the day, the interviewer, the hiring manager, anybody who's hiring for a job, they're looking really for two pieces of information. Can you do this job and do you want to do this job? That's really all that the hiring man, they, they can have all of these different frameworks and everything else, but really what we want in our companies are people who can do what we're asking them to do and who want to do what we're asking them to do for the money we're paying them. Then everything's wonderful. Can they do it? Do they want to do it? Brilliant. When people are going into interviews, now we we actually have a framework called interview i n t e or v i e w it's an acronym so people can rate themselves on different scales things like nervousness um uh, in the in job um talkativeness like all of these different things that that are different scales that people can rate themselves on in the in the job really you want to keep your answers to between 6 and 8 maybe 5 and 8 sentences on every answer you want to be keeping it as concise as possible, but giving information. So you need to really think about, this is the job's description. This is what they're looking for. And then I'm going to write out my experience and I'm going to say, well, yeah, I've done some of that stuff. I've done some of that stuff. I haven't done that, but actually I'm in a football club where I did do a little bit of that management stuff. Um, I'm in, I, I play the piano and I practice the piano an hour a day and I practiced it for three hours a day when I was a kid. So I have that dedication. I can showcase not in maybe my job because I didn't have that as part of my role because I'm going for a promotion, but I can show areas in my life when I have done the dedication, I've done the hard work, I've done the leadership, I've done the teamwork, all of these things. Put that together and we break it down as to if you're looking at the job spec, these are the types of questions they're likely to ask. And how can you match your experience and your interest to those likely questions and what we tell people all the time is two things relate and enthuse you need to relate your experience to the job that they're looking for and do not lie 
don't be making up stuff. Don't be saying, oh, yeah, I manage a team of 5,000 people, so you should take me on as CEO of whatever. So don't lie, but relate the things that you've done to the things that they're saying they're looking for and enthuse. Make sure that they're under no misconception that you don't want this job. You, you think you'd be good at it. You want to do this. You're curious about it. You like the company. You like the role. You like the challenge, whatever it is. So in about 60% of the time, you need to be enthusing. You don't want to be every quest. I would love to work here. I would love this. I would love that. You want to be doing it in a way that makes it seem like you're keen, but you're not desperate. So about 60% of the time, making sure that you're enthusing about stuff and about 70 to 80% relating everything that you've done in the past and putting it into context of the career. For hiring managers, for people who are doing this, competency-based interviews is the way to go. Having a structured um, set of questions that you're asking everybody that relates to the competencies, because we see this time and time again with HR managers. You like Man United, I like Man United, you must be an amazing CFO. That is not how things work, but it is how life works. Um, so having those competency-based interview questions, having that competency-based framework, and obviously using something like a psychometric personality report gives you much more um, uh, psychometric analysis of the individual candidates. Um, probably keep that for around the final round or the second, second to final round because it can get expensive for mass um, selection. Um, but that's really it. Can you do the job? Do you want to do the job? In order to show you can you want the job and you can do the job, you need to relate and enthuse. I love that. I love that. And in fact, it answers my question, which is why hiring managers should encourage people to be coached and mm -hmm. encourage people to actually go through this training because we want to get the best people on board. And if they get nervous during the interviews, it's not good for them, it's not good for us. Mm -hmm. You don't want to miss out on that that one hidden gem as it were. Yeah. and diamond or diamond in in the rough so that's really really helpful actually to kind of even encourage people to go for these coaching opportunities with someone like yourself to really get their skills mm -hmm. on them so that they when they come in they can talk for themselves and the skills absolutely uh i mean we've had i've had people in 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 my office here my father's had the litany of people in his office um who have a, a huge amount of experience and when they're working in the team they don't buckle under pressure they're able to manage these different things i had one guy recently who oversaw the tech the the it infrastructure and the change for for uh, online security stuff to the same equipment in offices for i think it was something like seven and a half thousand employees around europe manage all that manage all these things but when it comes to an interview he just falls apart so we had to talk about the structure make sure that he was comfortable with the different steps make sure that he was able to practice it now when he so the way we do it is we do one interview give you all the information like a practice interview plus giving feedback and go okay that's too long try this try this talk to them about the whole framework give them some homework to do get them to write out the different bits and pieces and then um when they come back in for the second round interview it's they're much more confident um this guy was still a bit nervous but i mean he was 20 times better than he was i hear you and what would you say for hiring managers who are currently not mentoring and guiding their current team members to grow i mean one thing we talked about earlier on about is just to build one's career 
you know, obviously everybody who comes into a company wants to think about how can they get paid more. And for that, they need to kind of build up on the skills. A lot of companies don't actually provide the opportunity to grow. Is there a case for companies actually helping grow people's careers by training them, for example? And should that, that, that be done internally or externally, for instance? How would you say that should be done for and what should, what should hiring managers be doing in, in this scenario? So first of all, HR is an enormous department. I mean, there are so many things within HR, whether it's the learning and development, whether it's the, the legal side of things, whether it's the hiring and firing, whether it's the policies, whether it's the enforcement, all this kind of stuff. And it depends. Again, I keep saying it depends, but it really is. There are larger companies that will have a HR department and they'll have a dedicated L&D person or an L&D team and then they'll have a dedicated um, hiring team, they'll have a dedicated recruitment team, all this kind of stuff, because they have the resources to be able to do that. And then those teams are able to build out uh, cross-mentorship programs, they're able to build out internal training, leadership development, fast-tracking, hypo, high-potential, all this kind of stuff. In smaller companies, it's harder to do that. And more often than not, in smaller companies, hiring managers, they're just time poor. They are time, there's, there's a lot of pressure on them to make sure that they're, they're compliant with stuff, to make sure that people are doing the bits and pieces. So, I mean, to ask them then on top of that, to go, okay, and then I want you to build a leadership team and I want you to mentor these three people. Like we've 20 people in the organization. I mean, there's only so much I can do. Um, so I would be an advocate in smaller places of, yes, maybe even having a budget where you say to people, look, we'll pay for... LinkedIn learning will pay for you to be will pay for it, like different courses and mastermind or whatever it is to help you to grow um, as part of your package. Um, because as the person grows, the company grows. There's, a, there's an old adage for, for company owners, your company can never outgrow your people. Like you have to grow your people, they grow the business. But um, it's easier said than done, especially in smaller companies where the budgets maybe aren't there. Um, allowing people to to grow, allowing people to make mistakes is another way of being able of helping them to progress. I have a thing with all of my employees um, in the the old business and in this business. It only makes sense for them to be working here for as long as they're happy and I'm happy. If they've decided, look, I, this is a small business. I really want to be growing into into corporate. I want to be doing other things. It's like fine. I I'm very happy to help you to achieve your goals. So long as you're not going to my direct competitor, I'll do everything I can to support you and help you. If you give me, if you're saying, look, I want to do this and in a year's time, I'm seeing myself there. I'd rather know that now rather than you saying, look, I've been offered a job. I'm gone in two weeks. It's like, okay, well, um, that doesn't really give us a lot of time to, for us to, to hand it over. Whereas if you're saying, look, I would like to see myself in three years time. In, in I'm the marketing manager here. I'd like to see myself in three years time the marketing manager in a much bigger company. Brilliant. Let's work together for a year. We'll build it up. Uh, we'll build up whatever we can in our organization. And then I'll do everything I can to help you on your career because I'm getting the best out of you while you're working at our level before you go higher. Understood. But that's, that's, that's hard to do. And, it's, and, and putting that on HR managers and, and people like that are, is really difficult. Especially, I mean, we have, we personally, we use an outsourced HR company for our policies, for our contracts and all that kind of stuff. Because again, we don't have, we don't have enough people to warrant a full-time person looking after that. We, uh, an outsourced person and our, my COO uh, looks after all that. Understood. Understood. 
Understood. That that's super helpful. I think it really helps people to like think there's an option to actually go outside the company or HR services, and that's that's actually mm-hmm. very powerful because you're right. You can't do everything in the company. Everybody's tied up. Everything thousand different jobs as well. Great stuff. Well, as we're wrapping up this conversation, Stephen, I like to go back to where we began about entrepreneurship, about EO. One thing mm-hmm. I like to always ask, you know, fellow EO members is, what has been the impact of EO on your life? How has Stephen Short been impacted, influenced by EO? Any thoughts on that, Stephen? Wow, where where to start? Um, I mean, you know my story quite well, but I, I was one of the founding members of EO Ireland. Uh, I was the only member of EO Ireland, the founding member of EO Ireland, that didn't know anybody else in the organization uh, because I had a language school. All of my connections, all of my business connections were all in other countries. No, I didn't really know anyone in Ireland. Uh, I came in through a friend in Vancouver who was also in an English language business. Um, so I've been involved at, at various levels. I've been a local board. I've been regional board. Uh, I've been global subcommittee member, global subcommittee chair. I've been local president. Um, I do strategy summits. I do... MCing for events, I do speaking, my own keynotes. To be honest, since joining EO, I mean, there's a huge number of things that I've benefited from directly. Um, if I didn't have forum to really bounce ideas off and, and understand the framework of, of how to run a business, a family business in a different way, I wouldn't have been able to live in Spain for a year. So as you know, my wife and I, we moved to Spain for a year, seven years ago. Uh, with the girls, they went to school in my wife's old primary school. We had an amazing year running the businesses, coming back for forum, coming back for meetings in the business, doing stuff online. I mean, I, I was using Zoom three years before COVID, five years before COVID, because we were using it in EO, because we would be having these meetings with different um, people around the world. So we'd been using Zoom for years. Um, um, my leadership style, my keynote style, my ability to network with people, my ability to connect with people on a different level, um, the the impact that even little conversations with EOs who um, I have had official mentors uh, within EO, uh, but even the unofficial, like the, just the conversations where somebody says something and that just sends you off into, a, oh my God, this is refocusing how I need to think about this problem I'm having in my world. Um, it just happened to me on, on Monday. There's a, a very good friend of mine who was in the entrepreneurial, um, master's program in MIT with EO. Um, and we were all in Barcelona. We were at a conference together and all of our partners flew in for the weekend. We all spent the weekend together. We had a fabulous time. Um, but he was saying to me like something, and it was a throwaway comment about you can't outperform your self image, which just in that moment we were talking because in the context of what we were talking about, I was going, wow, that's actually, yeah. How, how I see myself is. The, the limiting, like if I don't believe I can do it, then I'm never going to do it. And having this conversation just in that time has helped me to reshape a couple of things as well. So he always had an enormous impact on me. And I was, I was funny enough, I was talking to him about this. Um, he, he always had such an enormous impact on him that like the question of renewing year on year isn't even an issue. It's an, it's an automatic, yes, that that's happening no matter what's going on in my world. Um, and for me, for the last, I think, seven years in EO, I'm either the first or the second person to renew every year. Um, it Like in terms of the money hitting the account and, and getting it in. And between me and another guy, there's a little bit of a rivalry every year where we're 
finding out was he first or was I first this year? So, um, so it's been, it's been, it's had a massive impact on my life. Like you were sharing that I, I, I can't agree more. I've only been here for a few years now compared to obviously the years you spent in your service to EO. But yeah, I, I would agree with you as well. It's been highly impactful in my life. It's shaped me to be a better business leader, a father, a husband, all the above basically. So yeah, completely agree. And thank you for, for sharing that. Stephen, where can we all find you on this worldwide web? Where can we find you? Where would you say we can find you in the company as well? Uh, easiest one is probably etcconsult.com. We've links to everything there. We've links to our talent. So, well, etcconsult.com is the main business. Careerfit.com is the career guidance platform. Talentselect.com is the selection platform. Uh, interviewskills.com is the interview platform. Um, and if you just want to talk to me, stephenshort.com is is my personal site. Awesome, Stephen. Thank you so much for your time today. Really good to catch up again. Thank you for having. Really lovely to have you on the show, and uh, look forward to catching up with you in Singapore very soon. In person, as, as, yeah, as, looking forward to in person. person. Indeed, indeed. Thank you, Stephen, once again, and I uh, look forward to catching you very soon. All right. Thanks, Cheers. a million. See you soon. Bye.